Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is episode 10 of Alohomora for August 26th, 2012. Hey everybody, I'm Noah Freed. I'm Caleb Graves. And I'm Kat Miller. And our special guest this week, some of you may recognize him from our live show. It is Michael, or Lupin Patronus, from Audio Fiction. So say hi, Michael. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? That, that, nobody. They, yeah, I was going to say, no, they can't answer that. But <laughs> It would be funny if they could, you know, just sort of shout and it just shows up on the show. Oh, yes, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice to have that interaction? But you guys did that last time with your We friends, did, we did. So. That was... But thanks for joining us. We're we're excited to have you, and maybe even you know treat the view uh, listeners, not viewers, the listeners to uh, <laughs> some 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 good voices. Yes, yes, I hope so. I've got that is I've, the hope. Yes, I've got a whole menagerie in here. So whenever whenever they're they're needed, yes, they will. Have you have you voiced Chamber of Secrets characters before? Dobby, Lu- Lucius Malfoy, and oh yes, multiple. Yeah, no, I actually got started reading the Harry Potter series aloud um to my brother charlie who has autism and we wanted to try chapter books with him and harry potter was pretty much the only one he took to he loved it so much because i was reading it to him with the voices and um i read them uh, we've read the whole series multiple multiple times um so uh yeah chamber of secrets chamber of secrets is his personal favorite um Mm -hmm. so he loves he loves the, the mystery of chamber of secrets so awesome yeah that's cool yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show, Michael, and oh, for being on the live show last week. Now we'd just like to thank everybody who saw us at LeakyCon, because that was awesome. Amazing, we, right? Yeah, we had a blast. Yeah. Sold a couple of t-shirts, had some people come up to the table, the MuggleNet table, and just meet us. Great to you know hear from you guys, your feedback about the show. Um, I got to give a special panel about the controversial theory Aloha, more people came to that, and it was just great to, you know, do a little bit of what I do on the show, but in person. So it was great to see you guys who, whatever listeners came out to see that. 
Yeah, and thanks to everyone who did the the scavenger hunt. That was a really great success. You know, we were a little nervous about it to begin with, but you guys pretty much jumped right into that and sent us some pretty crazy pictures. So that was a lot of fun. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Twelve hundred and eighty points to the to the winner. That's a lot. Yeah. And she did it alone. She was on her own. So that was pretty incredible. What did she win? She won a t shirt. Free t shirt, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I don't remember her name. Does anyone remember her name? I have a feeling I that know. we'll remember at the end of the episode. And yeah, then we'll probably. Yeah. I know that but her she, team name was the Pie. Yeah. Team Pie, right? Team Pie, Team Pie. And uh, <laughs> when Noah and I were up on stage at the at the ball of LeakyCon, she was like front and center. Yeah, Noah? I, no, I remember yeah. that. I remember seeing her there. Yeah. Yeah, so which, dedicated fan out there. Which was crazy, by the way. In case you weren't at LeakyCon, <laughs> Caleb and I jumped on stage during the ball <laughs> And just started dancing, and then all the MuggleNet staff came up as well. Eric, Micah, um, even Emerson was up. there. Emerson so. was up there. I was dancing with yeah. Emerson. Cat, yeah. Cat, cat was there. Rosie. <laughs> oh yeah, she was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, it was Caleb and I though. It was it was intense. But we man. just jumped up there, and we were like dancing with Star Kid and the the Glee actors and Potter <laughs> Puppet Pals. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and got to see Melissa do some pretty crazy dance moves. So, yeah, if anyone if anyone has any pictures of us, uh, please send them to <laughs> oh my the God. Mora podcast email. I, yes, I want to see them because I don't have pictures of me up on stage. And I'm sure I was looking like a complete fool. So. <laughs> it was fun. That's all that matters. Yeah. And we're going to the next ones. Yeah. Hopefully. Exciting. Fingers Exciting. crossed. I plan to meet you guys there. I'm hopeful to come to the next one, too. Okay. Are you looking to? Do you know which one you like? Are looking for Portland or London? I mean, <laughs> I wish London. I mean, we'll yeah. see. I guess who wouldn't? But uh, yeah, no, I, Portland's looking a little more realistic um, at this point. But yeah, no, I possibly London if if I can scrounge up the funds for that. We'll see how the my voice acting career goes in the next year. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I don't know. My senses tell me the special guests of the London one could be pretty pretty amazing yeah Yeah. should be exciting yeah all right so we're gonna we're gonna jump into chamber of secrets we we're not gonna recap comments from the last episode uh because we really want to start fresh with a new book but that doesn't mean discussion of philosopher's stone is over you should go to our forums and you can do comments right there and we can keep discussing the first book as we move into the second one and then as we move into the third one, talk about the second one. So we can keep this conversation going wherever you are. If you're new to the show, feel free to listen back to old episodes and comment on comments in the forums on the older threads. We'd love to keep discussion going on every level with these books. Yeah, there's tons of fans there, and I, I don't see the uh, conversation stopping anytime soon. So definitely join in. I mean, we yeah, all I mean, talking I think... about the desk pig, don't we? So. Oh, God. Uh, moving on. I, I don't think I, I think that's kind of what's going to make it interesting. I mean, the whole point of the show, you know, is to keep keep the books going and alive. So hopefully you guys can even bring up stuff that relates to previous books that we don't catch that, you know, weren't as obvious in um, the first few reads that you did, but kind of are now. But yeah, it should be interesting to kind of tie it all back. Mm-hmm. But we are done with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone slash Sorcerer's Stone, which is really exciting. Like, my gosh, we actually finished the first book and we're moving on to book two. Man, it's been a couple of months on the show and it's kind of hard to imagine we're already moving that quickly. We made it last. Yeah. But we are going to jump right into Chamber of Secrets. And so we thought 
a good starting point, we didn't do this with the first book, but kind of thought of it on the fly, is to take a look at the synopsis. Because every time I got a new Harry Potter book, and I guess probably most people when they get a book, they read the synopsis. But for some reason, the the Harry Potter um, synopsis is always written so well, I thought. So real quick, I'm going to read The Chamber of Secrets, and we can sort of break that down. Ever since Harry Potter had come home for the summer... The Dursleys had been so mean and hideous that all Harry wanted was to get back to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. But just as he's packing his bags, Harry receives a warning from a strange impish creature who says that if Harry returns to Hogwarts, disaster will strike. And strike it does, for in Harry's second year at Hogwarts, fresh torments and horrors arise, including an outrageously stuck-up new professor and a spirit who haunts the girls' bathroom. But then the real trouble begins. Something is attacking Hogwarts students, turning them into stone. Could it be Draco Malfoy, a more poisonous rival than ever? Could it be possibly Hagrid, whose mysterious past reveals dark secrets? Or could it be the one everyone at Hogwarts most suspects? Harry Potter himself. Dun dun dun. Hmm. (laughs) I wonder who writes those. I mean, do you not think that I figured, I always figured Rowling did. It just seems so much like her writing. But is it the same summary for the like the the British the UK edition? Is it the same? That's interesting. Because they I don't know. Because I can't imagine mm. Rowling would just like write a bunch of different ones for each version that comes out. Um, yeah. Is anyone googling it? No. No. All right, I'll look it up. La la la. But I I always thought that. Uh, yeah, it always jumped out at me like, oh my gosh, Hagrid has a dark past. Is it is it just, you know, his drunken days back when he was <laughs> a younger man? Or, like, are we are we going to get something really shifty? And he, like, we already know he's, like, dealing with dragons and everything else, but... You know what's interesting? Uh, what about that, that point where uh, there's a creature turning the students into stone? That's the direct line instead of petrified? And I'm yeah. not sure if those are the same things. I think maybe that was an editor's choice to change... Uh, hmm. p- petrification is yeah the, you know because maybe that kids wouldn't understand that as much as you know turning people into stone is pretty uh understandable yeah and it kind of like elicits this like medusa idea almost maybe um, you know, thinking about stone maybe the yeah. uk maybe the uk version says petrification and the u.s version says stone because they because they just assume <laughs> americans are stupid yes yeah, just like I they did with sorcerer's stone <laughs> I couldn't find any different ones, so I'm going to assume it's the same. If it's different, someone correct me, please. Yeah. But that would be a problem, wouldn't it? If that were the case, that it was worded differently for the American copy. like. Yeah, it would. Um, the spirit who haunts the girl's bathroom, before knowing that it's Moaning Myrtle, that's actually kind of weird. Yeah, it's, it's really ominous and, yeah. and much different than what actually happens. But poor Myrtle. <laughs> is that what the okay first book was poor neville this one's gonna be poor myrtle <laughs> nah nobody cares about myrtle nah 10 points for what sending it through her head That's no right, 50 no. points through her head what is it i think it's like 50 points through her stomach oh right i still 10 I'm points still if you put it through her head <laughs> <laughs> whatever <laughs> um well let's jump into chapter one yeah ready to go let's do it okay yes Yay, so chapter one, the worst birthday. And I'm going to apologize ahead of time. Guys, I'm still sick from Leaky Con, so my voice probably sounds like crap. You sound fine. Leaky flu. Yeah, leaky flu. 
which is really which is the grossest hashtag ever can i just say that it's so (laughs) gross but it's so real it's so true so we start off in the summer you know it's the day of harry's birthday the the title of the chapter and right in the beginning you know we we we're sitting at the table having breakfast in Privet Drive, and Vernon is already yelling at Harry about Hedwig hooting. And Harry says, you know, but she's bored. Let her fly around, and she she would stop. Okay, and Vernon is trying to tell Harry to control his owl, to, you know, to shut her up. And I was wondering, how much control does Vernon really think that one can have over a hooting owl? I mean, it is a wild animal, after all. Like, what do you expect Harry to do? I mean, I don't really think he he necessarily knows what he expects Harry to do. I think this makes Vernon look pretty ignorant, but he just wants it, you know, taken care of, even though he doesn't really know what that would entail, especially since it's related to magic. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, he's, he, he, he wants Hedwig to stay in because he doesn't want Hedwig to get out and give bring letters to Harry or send letters elsewhere, or any kind of magical influence coming into the house. So, you know, he's the real cause for Hedwig doing this in the first place. Well, but, and it's funny because that brings me to the next line, you know, where he says, do I look stupid? And well, obviously, of, of course he does. He's got an egg hanging from his mustache. <laughs> right. But really, I mean, what did he think was going to happen? I mean, surely he's just not talking about the letters that Harry's receiving. Does he think Hedwig's going to do something else? Or do you really think it's just about the letters? I think he's just angry. And he just wants to get his anger. He's, he's always kind of pissed off and he wants to get his emotions out. And Harry's the the nearest like target well i think that because this this chapter odd interestingly goes into some goes to lengths to kind of compare harry and hedwig and i think vernon just views them as one and the same so it's kind of like he's just putting the same idiotic restrictions on hedwig that he would on harry um because i mean later on in the chapter he literally yeah he literally cages harry in his room like with bars on the windows um later on in chapter two and uh then i think the movie went to that length too but the 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 book definitely does where i think it's a little more subtle but it's it's yeah that comparison between harry and hedwig and vernon just doesn't see them as any different because they're all just magic in the end and that's something he wants to keep caged up yeah, that's that's a really good point. I never thought about the whole caging um, comparison. And I think it also just sort of relates back to book one, you know, where he's just against anything magic and he doesn't want to comprehend it. He just sees it as all bad and wrong and problematic and he's just trying to shut it all up as best he can. Which I guess is why he freaks out when uh, Harry says you've forgotten the magic word. Oh my God, I love <laughs> and this I know, uh, the, the commotion at one little word causes i mean dudley falls off his chair petunia screams and you know vernon jumps to his feet veins throbbing i kind of picture like the homer simpson strangling bart type of thing (laughs) like i foresee that coming i really wish we could have seen this scene in the movie i mean i want to see like dudley collapse out of the chair (laughs) and just like fall to the ground yeah it's it's a bit it's a bit of a shock though i I didn't you're reading it again it seems a bit over the top i mean how much damage has Dudley and these Dursleys had? Mental scarring from, I guess, when Haggard came in that, that faithful night, <laughs> that they're doing this. Well, I was just going to say, he ha- I mean, he had a tail, of course. You know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's psychologically damaged. Yeah, let's not forget that. And they brought that to a hospital and, you know, surgically removed. And what could they even tell Dudley at that point? 
Yeah. Well, and I think it also goes along too with that just, cause the funny thing is just actually reading it, um, this morning, uh, I actually, I think that was the first time I really laughed at that passage. I've, I've never, I've always, when I read the Harry Potter books, I tend to just get through the Dursley sections as fast as I can. Um, <laughs> but this time I actually, since we were, since we were, since we're doing a close read, I, I actually laughed at that line. And, um, I think that just goes along with what you guys looked at in, uh, Philosopher's Sorcerer's Stone, where, uh, the Dursleys are just so over the top cartoonish that they will go crazy at the silliest little things. And, but the, and it's kind of funny just because the, you, you don't really look at the kind of frightening implications of that because then they, they just round on Harry and become really, later in the, in chapter two, there's some, there is some form of aggression towards Harry. And it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's a little scary, actually. And, and that's, I think, what the movies, it was funny about the movies for me, because I didn't feel that the movies made them cartoonish enough, because like mm. you guys said, they were almost so unbelievable in the books, um, with how they react to things and how ridiculous they are, that in a way, I wonder if the movies couldn't do that, because it was, you know, you actually get to look at real people in the movies. Whereas What's in- interesting, though, though, is that they are the first, uh, people that we see in each of these harry potter books every single one they like frame the the coming story um so well, except this, for half-blood prince no well even half-blood prince it starts with a dursley he's in the dursley home and dumbledore interacts with them no the first chapter is the other minister oh okay good point but all right yeah. so and goblet of fire goblet right? of fire yeah Okay. And Deathly Hallows. Okay. And right. Deathly well. Hallows. <laughs> but but Sorry, the, no, the, the the main point the main point is still there. No, that's still that's still valid. Because <laughs> right, well, if if you tie it to Harry's story, it's valid. Then yeah yeah. In the beginning of Harry's story, in every one of these novels, <laughs> it starts with the Dursleys. Why? I don't know why, but I think it's interesting, and I just wanted to bring it up. But now I've lost my train of thought. So let's. Just... <laughs> okay, but Harry goes on, and he. He's actually kind of has a little bit of a backbone, finally. You know, he stands up for himself and says, I meant please. Like, he didn't mean, you know, to actually talk about magic. And I thought it was a nice little use of, you know, a glimpse at Harry really is just like a real person. You know, he's like us, too. Not just all wizard. So then it goes on to talk about, you know, Harry's missing Hogwarts so much. And then he starts talking about how all his spell books, his wand, his robes, his cauldron, and even his broomstick have been locked up in the cupboard under the stairs all summer. So he begins to worry about losing his place on the house Quidditch team. And there's a great discussion actually going on on the forums about this. But how do you think Harry would have actually practiced Quidditch if his things weren't locked away? I mean... He's not allowed, nor does he know how to do, like, a concealment spell to keep the muggle eyes from seeing him. So what would he do? Well, I've been very curious about this just because also with the Quidditch, Harry also wants to do schoolwork. And, well, I mean, other than writing essays, which he does in Prisoner of Azkaban during the summer, I just don't know how he's going to, because he can't practice magic. And, I mean, wouldn't, I'm trying to think, I, I suppose... Harry would have to enchant, like if he if he wanted to take like a tennis ball, like he did when Wood and him were practicing, or a golf ball, then he'd have to enchant it to fly around so he could actually practice. And well, yeah, do we in think terms it, of, in terms of homework, they'd never assign anything that would require them doing magic to do magic? Yeah, it's a lot of theory. Yeah, 
It would yeah. be essays in theory, but as we know, Harry enjoys reading some of those books, and th- even some of those would have taken him out of the world of the Dursleys. Um, in terms of the Quidditch, though, I, that that is a good point. I really don't know what he could have done. Maybe- Do we think that if he was flying on his broom in the backyard, like at a very low level, does that still breach the um, statute of secrecy because he's doing it around Muggles? They don't seem to track brooms, do they? They don't broom stick use. Broom yeah, doesn't count. Really, been the only it. other time we really see like brooms like outside <clears throat> like during the summer is like when he's at the burrow and he's like practicing in a later book with um fred george ron and, and jenny but and they live so if, far out there i doubt anyone would yeah and uh, yeah well it wouldn't so i don't it wouldn't make sense to track brooms anyway because they use them for transportation all the time so that's true there they wouldn't it's too much it, it would be pointless to do that yeah that's true well and that's why they use brooms in you know the fifth book right because they're not tracked so at least not yet. Well, you know, I guess they never are. That's true. That's the only way that's not ever really tracked. Yeah. So in terms of the statute of secrecy, it's probably fine to do it in communities or places where you're not going to be seen. But mm-hmm. in yeah. a muggle community, if you're if you're heard doing it, you're gonna you're gonna get in trouble. I wonder how that works if you're muggle born. Like, because obviously your family knows you're a wizard or a witch. How do you never talk about it or never do magic in front of them? Oh, I think you can do in front of people who know you go to Hogwarts. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, I think, for instance, Hermione's community. Yeah. Well, that's because they go to Diagon Alley with her, you know, when they shop. Mm-hmm. So, so. Well, well I mean, then, 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 I guess it wouldn't have been a problem for him to practice Quidditch in the backyard. If only the Dursleys saw. You yeah. know, they probably have some nosy neighbors like Petunia is. In fact, so. they do, I believe. Yeah. Well, and that would explain too how Lily, as mentioned, could go home and because people have debated that for, I've seen that debate for quite a few years. How Lily came home and did magic in front of her parents, and Petunia would complain about it, and people were saying, "Well, she couldn't have done that because that was against the law." But <laughs> I guess that. But then you look at the fact, and we'll—I know we'll get to this later. But the fact that the the trace is so badly done and like the, the it, it can't actually define who did the magic um and what the consequences of that are if if you're doing if you're just doing magic if you're not even doing the magic um so yeah but in lily's case she would have been the only witch in the in the family so yeah they would have had to know it was her which is why they kind of assume we'll talk about this later with harry and dobby so right with the hover charm yeah, I'd also love to talk about that when we get to that chapter. Yep. All right, so I, I I didn't see this in your notes, Cap, but remember that scene where Harry's he's going outside getting some fresh air, and then he glimpses some eyes peeking at him in the hedge? Mm-hmm. And, but bef- either before or after that, Dudley comes over and, and tells Harry, I know what day it is. And Harry's like, <laughs> oh, do you? He's like, it's your birthday. <laughs> and I just, when reading this, I just pictured, like, Dudley just kind of wobbling over and just kind of, not really your smartest, uh, you know, kid ever coming over and nagging Harry about his birthday. And at first, just, when I first read this, I was like, damn you, Dudley, just trying to get it. And Harry telling him he has no friends to celebrate his birthday with him when you have, like, these amazing birthdays. But then reading it this time, I was like, wait a second, maybe, maybe Dudley in some smallest part of him cares about Harry enough to say, you know what? No one's thinking about your birthday, but I remember it's your birthday, and I know how much I love birthdays. And you know what? I just wanted to try and talk to you about it. And then, 
then Harry's as heinous as to just come up and start like saying hocus pocus, jiggly wiggly, and Dudley freaks out and runs away. <laughs> yes, that is exactly the way it works. This is so playing devil's advocate. I've never. <laughs> That's what Noah does best. I know. I love it. I love the idea that Dudley's actually being like, "Oh, Harry, I'll have a little. I have a little present for you behind my back." <laughs> oh God! Well, I have a present for you. I have a present can hide, for you. My I mean, fist in your face. He can hide a lot behind. I got a bike back here. I think you know. But you know, I think Noah, our friend Lev Grossman, who I got to interview at LeakyCon, would agree with you. You can check out that interview, which is on our app. We uh, when we're talking about his series, he's talking about how Dudley is kind of uh, misinterpreted by readers to some degree, and he's not as bad necessarily as we make him out to be. In some cases, at least. Yeah. Because, like, think about this. We know how excited he gets about birthdays, right? And how much he cries and screams when he didn't he, when he got 36 inst- instead of 37 or 38 presents, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's, like, he's had to view Harry and sees Harry um, not getting even a mention of his birthday. So I think, I think Dudley, in a small part, feels kind of bad for Harry a little bit. And that comes out in him wanting to go over to Harry and say, oh, it's your birthday, I remember. Now I'm going to joke with you because that's, like... That's the, the only way he knows how. The, yeah. the only way he knows how to do it, which we know is true because Joe has said that the most damage that has ever happened to Dudley and what he fears when he sees the Dementor is how much he's been like damaged by his parents and is like and the kind of person he is. Well, that that could certainly be read that way because I think in Deathly Hallows, spoiler, but um, Dudley looks back on pretty much all of his years with Harry and thought that they were just having a bit of fun in his... <laughs> Words. He just he thought the whole time it was just enjoyable. Of course he would, from his perspective. But it, it he actually thought that they were being genuinely like bizarre, having a bizarre friendship with each other. And I I, I don't know. I think it's kind of funny to think that like because he says in the the last thing he says is uh to Harry before he, Harry turns on him is the haven't you got any friends at that freak place and. Wouldn't it have been great yeah. if he's, he's just like, I'll be your friend. But he never got to say it because Harry he was trying to set to a it. bush on fire. <laughs> mm. Harry's clearly the bad guy in this. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> no, because I can interpret that. I will interpret him doubly saying that as him gen- genuinely curious. Like, your friend should be giving you some birthdays, right? I mean, my parents surely are. Or anyway, Maybe I don't. I don't know. I think he's just being a typical bully. Or there's that. Yeah. There's that interpretation too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those readers and that's just wrong. All these years. <laughs> yeah, you well, know. We'll see what the we'll see what people say in the comments after. Right. Um. So going backwards just a little bit, there's a whole section where, um, Harry, you know, kind of re- reliving his memories, so to say talks about everything that happened in his first year at Hogwarts. And pretend for a minute that you hadn't read the first book. Would this intrigue you to go back and read it? Um, hmm. I know it didn't because the second was the first book that I had read. And I just, since I had seen the first movie and then read the second book, I was like, oh, I already know that installment. So I just kept going. But later I read the first one. Whoa, really? You read the second book before you read the first one? I did. Wow. That's so weird. 
That, that's you're not a true fan, we Noah. You're off the show. We just had a get moment, out, we just had a moment of silence in mourning for Noah's <laughs> like, reading that, experience. Yeah, like we're joking, we're joking now, but that moment of silence was really yeah, that, <laughs> that was palatable. <laughs> our, our lives were really concerned there for a second. <laughs> I need, to, I, I just need to leave for a minute. <laughs> Did you know? Because of that, for many years, I pictured the movie characters. <gasps> oh! Noah, blasphemy. <laughs> Jinx, Coke. Oh, that's terrible. Anyway, go on, Would- quick. <laughs> no, you had no one answered the question. Yeah, no, you, oh, no. You, you've left oh, it open. Um, that no, horrible thing. I don't think so. I think it was really concise, and, and you know, she she felt she just needed to get a quick, um, you know, review there. I don't think it's necessarily enough to go back and want to reread it. It didn't me, especially since I read them back to back. This this whole thing is a popular narrative business for many writers. We call it the info dump in literary theory, if you wanted to know. Um, And it's kind of a prop of fantasy and science fiction series. And it makes sense. She has to back it up for for new readers, especially kids. She has to describe a little bit about the magical school um, and and what Harry went through. He fought Voldemort. So it's kind of setting up a chain of command. And then we instantly get, we're going to get Dobby who comes in, sets up the story, the new story, uh, beginning. But... I, li- I liked reading this over because it's a kind of a cool study of writing. Because if you read it, it feels like Harry's le- reliving it in his own consciousness. And he's like, it's it's all in his own words. But really, a narrator's coming in and describing it to us. Because why would Harry have to give all this context to himself? He knows all this because he did it. So, I'm actually... once again... Oh, go ahead. Go on, Michael. Oh, I was going to say, I'm just glad that you did say what it was. Because I've been wondering for years what you would term that exactly. Because... Rowling uses that pretty much up until Deathly Hallows, where she stops. Um, yeah, I bet. Where and that and and that always set Deathly Hallows apart for me from the other books because Deathly Hallows just jumps right in and does not explain anything. Um, and <laughs> yeah. the other the other six books, though, um, definitely do. And I I, I I and I think it would be most important in Chamber of Secrets because it's only the second one. I always thought it was kind of weird that she kept that up for so long. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's I'm, why, uh, uh, sorry, Kat, I, I just wanted to put in also that the, the synopsis at the beginning, she also had to do it with that, too. It has to bring in the new story, but also first info dumping a little bit of the old story. And that's why I think Chamber of Secrets is so important, because it picks up on some of the, on the most notable things that children might have found in the first book, which is uh, Hagrid, who's a much beloved. And the fact that he has a dark past, I think that's a great way to segue from the old story into the new one because we i think i think uh loving haggard is one of the greatest things the of the first book that she could use and then as the books go later she can like she has more stuff she has more material that people are familiar with to make the new story with you know but doesn't that get annoying after the while like i'm reading a 16 book series at the moment called sweep and um it's like every book they find the need to recap the books before and it annoys the hell out of me. I'm just saying. Annoying, but useful for readers who are picking that series up at book seven. Book I know, eight. but why would you start at book seven? Because it gives readers the continuity and like feels if they read the whole thing. Other, otherwise, if you just jump into the story, then you isolate readers and then they don't want to keep going. I know, but I mean, as a reader, who starts at book seven? Well, I mean, you started book two, so just Somebody did. Somebody out there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But 
but yeah, it's interesting to see these, and maybe uh, it'll change as we get to later books, or it'll get slightly less and less, and we'll see what facts Joe needs to keep and which she doesn't. Because, I mean, everyone knows she, Harry's a boy wizard by book three or four, so we don't have to recoup, recap the whole, uh, his parents died for him, now he's a scar. Then again, the lightning bolt scar stays for a while. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. The eyes are in every one, I'm pretty sure. Every recap, the green eyes. Hmm. Yeah, I think probably so. Well, at least that has pretty major relevance later on. Well, that's true. Does, that's so. true. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that point is okay to keep there. Okay, so then we move on. Um, the Dursleys are having a dinner party that evening um, for someone that Vernon is trying to seal a contract with at his his drill company. Yeah, he, he builds, I believe he builds... Uh, does he say he build ho- builds houses, or is he just... No, a no, it's a, dr- a drill company. I just yeah, Grunnings that. makes drills. No, the guy he's yeah. selling to. Yeah, he builds, oh, yeah, he yeah, builds yeah. houses yeah, and buildings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So um, they're talking about where everybody's going to be. You know, Petunia's in the lounge, and Dudley will be waiting at the door. And poor little Harry will be sitting in his room, pretending he's not there, making no noise whatsoever. And so I was thinking, given the fact that Hedwig... All she does is hoot because she's so bored. Wouldn't Vernon want her to be out of the house for the evening, you know, to keep it more quiet? It seems counterintuitive to me to lock her up and then complain about her. Yeah, I think that, I think Vernon is just kind of a logic-free zone always. Um, (laughs) I think this is A, sort of him being stubborn and not letting Harry get what he wants with something that relates to, in his mind, magic, and just not in him being dumb. Yeah, he's not thinking ahead. He has one formula. He's going to threaten yeah. threaten Harry. If Harry makes noise, I'm going to scream at him. And then if something bad happens, I'm going to scream scream at him some more. <laughs> and then bad stuff's going to happen. That's that's the formula, the way it goes. But he's not going to try and take like actions beforehand. That's not how he operates. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Well, again, it's that parallel logic, Vernon sees Hedwig as an extension of Harry she that they're the same thing and so if Harry stays caged in his room Hedwig stays caged in her cage 
Um, and I do think, too, Noah's point that the Dursleys are, like, very emotionally scarred from these past experiences. Yeah. Vernon has not had good experiences with owls, and he continues to <laughs> not have good experiences with owls whenever they are let loose, because they tend to drop mail all over him. Um, and so I think he probably had what ends up being a moderately valid fear, although it doesn't apply to Hedwig, that there's going to be an owl flying around in the room somehow. Um which just, is funny that the owl comes back with a letter, kind of an homage to the, the great right? scene mm-hmm. of last mm-hmm. year. So it's uh, just preventing the the what he sees as the inevitable if he lets the magic. Vernon's yeah. very kind of basic logic is to just lock everything up if that bothers him. Yeah, but Michael, I love your connection to Harry being an owl. Um, does it? Hasn't <laughs> Joe said that he ref- she reflects his his innocence or something to that effect? Mm-hmm. I think I think if, and if she didn't, I mean, it certainly it it's certainly spelled out very clearly by Deathly Hallows with Hedwig. Um, but yeah, no, I think there is definitely a connection there. OK, so then um, I, I found a really great line here on page seven of the U.S. edition. They're talking about, you know, he's signing the deal and how much money they're going to make from it and how they're going to be shopping for a vacation home. And the line says, Harry couldn't feel too excited about this. He didn't think the Dursleys would like him any better in, is that Majorca? Majorca? Majorca. Yeah. Majorca. That's, I was looking it up trying to make sure I said it right. Sorry to everyone in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, they wouldn't like him any better than they did on Privet Drive. And it seemed very sad to me. Like the sentence just feels very sad. Like, do we think that he actually wants to feel cared for and maybe even loved? By the Dursleys? I was I was kind of surprised because you don't normally see Harry lamenting the fact that he doesn't have a better connection with the Dursleys mm-hmm. uh, throughout these chapters. Like, that rarely... He's rarely lamenting his own situation. It's just kind of like... As we talked about in the first book, remember when uh, Harry would just kind of nonchalantly... Or the narrator would talk about the stuff that was happening to Harry. And, and it would just kind of... We'd just get fed it. And because it was so... Um, there wasn't so much emotion attached to Harry, like, lamenting it. it we felt it even more because mm-hmm. it was so, like, desolate. But, yeah, yeah he, <clears throat> he does seem kind of sad. And so it's kind of it's kind of odd and strange. I think it has a lot to do with... So he doesn't ever really experience this as much before he ever goes to Hogwarts. But now that he has, like, gone to a place he falls in love with and has friends, I think this is sort of setting up how Harry feels very disconnected and like almost left behind by his friends in the summer which comes up in the next chapter but um he you know he has like now found this this really deep human connection with people at hogwarts particularly with ron and hermione and and now that he's sort of removed from it he's he's sort of um he's missing it yeah he's missing it a lot oh wow that's a great point so like hogwarts has matured him a little bit whereas when he was younger it didn't really it didn't really matter because that's just because he never knew it he never knew it oh wow well, yeah, to yeah. get a taste of that, like, friendship and affection and, like, genuine love from people for about a little less than a year, and then to go home after, like, 12, 12 years of this, 11 years, 12 years, mm-hmm. that's probably pretty pretty upsetting. And I, I almost see it that Harry's not necessarily looking for love from the Dursleys, he's just looking for love in a home setting. Um, the Dursleys just happen to be his home setting, so. Yeah. I couldn't believe, by the way, that Harry, uh, that Ron and Hermione haven't been sending him any letters. I mean, that would have helped him out right now in this tough situation. That's I true. mean, what they do? 
Well, no, Caleb. They... There are no letters. <laughs> no one sent him any letters. <laughs> so we All right. Chapter two. <laughs> okay, so after the whole Dudley thing with the jiggery pokery and the bush on fire, <laughs> jiggery um, pokery. <laughs> Um, burning bush away. biblical illusion yes. uh, i totally thought of that Whoa. while i was reading it and i was like i'm not gonna say that that's ridiculous but i'm glad you did <laughs> what no let's talk about it go for it oh i don't think i don't think it's necessarily anything that is amazing it's not even everything. intentional oh shut up <laughs> <laughs> no if harry if harry was saying that he was gonna make turn the bush uh light the bush on fire then if we want to go through the symbolism he was going to play god and now we're it's more like magic is god Oh, that's that's tricky. That that's sorcery right there. Um, yeah, nothing more than that. We can we can move on. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but Petunia, go. You know, Harry goes back in the house, and Harry is. You know, he knew he was going to get in trouble for it. And here we go, Petunia. She uh, threw a a soapy frying pan at his head, and I just wanted to point out that I was right that Harry gets beat at home. Yeah, I was a little upset that I, you know, it's proven wrong. I think I always argued that I didn't think that she would, they would beat him. But it seems at least they make attempts to, because this isn't the first time it happens in this book. And, ugh, stupid Dursleys. Yeah, uh, I was, uh, I was bringing that up too, I believe. I, I was pretty sure that he, remember, because he could identify wood, he thought that was a rod that he was going to get beaten with. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, he seems to be familiar with some of this. And I would imagine that he probably wasn't as agile in, in earlier years, if this was commonplace, the, the frying Maybe pan. that's why he why he became such a good seeker. He had to learn how to be, <laughs> really, be really agile to avoid to Petunia's her freaking frying pans. Like, what in the world? That's but, some trouble. That, something bad could have happened right there. That could well, have been like the end of the soap, series. There's soap, and that can get in your eyes, and that's a whole other problem. So. Well, and who knows? I mean, if it's soapy enough, it could have slipped from her hand and hit her husband or her kid. Oh, or- my God. <laughs> or that's actually what's wrong with Dudley. That's where the brain damage comes you, from. You could look at it as it slipped out of her hand. She wasn't really throwing it at him. She was just getting that's what really. They told the authorities. Re- I'm playing devil's advocate. She's she was <laughs> she was really getting excited with her cooking that day. And no, Michael, <laughs> she, she really wanted to hit him. I, I can tell you. Just happened to aim at Harry. It's, it's, she just she just wanted to give him some of the extra bacon she had left over. That's all. It's hard to imagine Petunia snapping like that, though. Like, swinging a frying pan. Just well, think about that. Of, that was because of Dudley, right? Because uh, Dudley ran in and told her what he was doing, lighting the book. Yeah, but it's yeah. still, it's still, I don't know, it's it's unexpected. I actually didn't see it as unexpected. I was kind of with Kat when I was listening to the older episodes, because I remembered this incident when you guys were talking about that. And I've, again, the, the Dursleys being so cartoonish that they react so insanely to the tiniest things... And it, it, the book even says she knows he wasn't doing magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's just, yeah, she's just very over, frighteningly overprotective and, of Dudley. And Harry's protective love magic can't even possibly, like, ignite because uh, Petunia has the same blood. She can really hit him. <laughs> right. That was a bit of a frightening okay. phrase. <laughs> the love magic yeah. cannot ignite. <laughs> Which is kaboom! What's going, on, ignite, what's going on in that kitchen? That's that's troubling. A lot happens in that kitchen, <laughs> and well, we don't have to go into that. Yeah, I was going to say probably more than we know, but anyway, um... for another episode exclusively on our app. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so then, <clears throat> excuse me. Harry goes upstairs as the Masons arrive, and he says that he's about to collapse onto his bed. 
And it's the last line of the chapter. It says, the trouble was there was already someone sitting on it. And I noticed that Joe in this point says someone and not something. And I wondered if maybe she was setting up kind of the, the disservice of the house elves already, like S-P-E-W for the win. Well, so. uh, you know that, so that, that line comes from Harry's consciousness. So it's it's through his own words because it's um, third person, no, yeah, it's third person limited. So right. the, way, the way that works is it's going through his consciousness and a u- narrator uses his language to describe. So that's Harry's thoughts. And he, he does see uh, Dobby as someone as opposed to something because he hasn't had the same uh, introduction to magical creatures throughout his whole life to know that this is, uh, you know, I'm, obviously he knows it's a non-humanoid creature, but he doesn't like limit them based on the fact that they're house elves mm-hmm. like uh, right. Ron does probably a little bit. Okay, so I guess that's the end of chapter one. It's a really short chapter, but a lot of really funny stuff happens. So it was good. Yeah, Yeah, and it transitions right into, I mean, you immediately move on to the second chapter, obviously. After that, you know, there was already someone sitting on the bed. But just about chapter one, that that, that ending to the chapter, that line, it's uh, we get a similar one at the end of chapter two. Isn't that just a cool narrative move to just be like, there was someone sitting on the bed. You have to turn the page. You have yeah, to. It's true. Absolutely. She, I, I think Joe especially wanted to capture rereaders with the second book because you know she had no, no I, she saw the first book being successful, but how could she know that she would be able to write this entire series? She really needed to have she needed to grab people with this one too. So definitely, that last line is proof of that that eagerness. Maybe. No, I remember I was in college when this book came out, and um, I remember being late to class many a times because I couldn't stop reading. So. <laughs> So we meet this this creature that is sitting on Harry's bed, and I feel like I kind of need to read it because it's just so gripping. The little creature on the bed had large bat-like ears and bulging green eyes the size of tennis balls. I mean, the tennis balls line kind of creeped me out. I was like, oh my god, what is this thing? I thought it was going to like lunge and attack Harry. <laughs> like a gremlin? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly a, good, a really good comparison, a gremlin. Those are great movies, by the way. Um, I was uh, I was just reminded of Haggard's d- description. Do you guys remember his feet were the size of baby dolphins? He had this sa- hands were the size of trash can lids. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I feel like certain characters. When I remember when I made that comment, like those images are kind of sweet and nice, and that gives us Haggard, who's this big, huge guy, but also kind of nice. So metaphor. Other other characters don't get metaphors like this that are as visual, but Dobby does, and, and mm-hmm. green eyes the size of tennis balls are kind of that. That's kind of playful, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think she uses this type of metaphor for characters that were meant to characters um, that are very visual that are not well and positive here. too. The the positive characters get the the nicer metaphors, obviously. Nicer and often weird, or just kind of. Like, I didn't really think he was nice in the beginning. I was like, what is this creature thing doing here? He's gonna feed on Harry. Yeah, it's like suck. Doesn't have letters. Well, see, I, I, this is just the perk of the, I guess, the U.S. editions. But the picture that Mary Grand Prix drew of Dobby, Mm -hmm. I just, I could not see that as evil. And when I, (laughs) when I saw that in in accompaniment, and because I do think um, that Mary Grand Prix's drawings are actually pretty close to what I picture. Um, Yeah, and so. When I saw that, I I had no qualms with Dobby before we really knew him. I'll get into that 
later but uh, <laughs> but uh yeah no if at, at first sight i think dobby's actually he's he seems pretty harmless okay so it's just me that has like these childhood issues apparently that are you know something wrong with dobby do, do you like jar jar oh no i do not <laughs> okay well i guess that makes sense then because a lot of people compare the two i don't mind jar jar so no he no there's nothing okay with that creature no <laughs> whoa no <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. I know what you're um, getting for Christmas. <laughs> but, so something I noticed this time that I did not notice in the past is Hedwig is not looking out for Harry. Like, when when we desc- when um, Rowling describes Hedwig as um, Harry notices Dobby, like, Hedwig's just asleep. She's not observing. She's just snoozing while Dobby takes over the room. She is clearly over it she does not care about anything going on because she's still pissed about being locked up anyone else notice this Hedwig holds grudges against harry for pretty much every single book yeah she's really sassy yeah I mean, no she, she's definitely got attitude to the point that actually she, her she frustrates me in a lot of the especially book five and this but in this situation yeah no she's it's kind of i think you're right that's like the first hint of her just being like oh you know whatever i've seen and you know she's lived in a menagerie for how many years before harry and hagrid bought her so she's probably seen this a lot um yeah (laughs) she's been surrounded by magical creatures for a long time so this isn't anything new to her but when i read this part i was wondering how did dobby find harry in the first place i mean isn't his location supposed to be you know fairly secret uh i was wondering about that too and again spoiler alert but uh the did the do you think the the malfoys didn't know where harry lived did they they know he lived with the dursleys but they didn't know the location right yeah i wouldn't think so unless lucius got that information somehow in ministry records or something like that but or heard it overheard Dumbledore talking about it or something. I, I don't know where, because Dobby is, you know, again, is getting his information from the Malfoys, I assume. Um, yeah. But I think this is just kind of like a, a license Rowling takes, and she uses it quite a bit. How house elves kind of, they may not be as like as as great as, as wizards and witches, but they have some sort of abilities that sort of supersede what, where witches and wizards are limited. That's that's probably my best answer to that as well. Um, it's it's a different kind of magic, and he could kind of uh, he can really sense stuff. But individuals, it, it it's really tricky. But maybe maybe the Fidelius charm just doesn't work on him because he's um he's not a wizard, and therefore he could find Harry by some more normal means. He could just kind of apparate there. Could yeah. could Voldemort have gotten well? And he wouldn't have, of course, because he was above that. So that's why he didn't do it. I just answered my own question. But technically speaking, Voldemort couldn't he have just gotten like a house elf to go find Harry, and then he <laughs> could have just come back and been like, "Harry Potter is at number number four, Privet Drive." And then Voldemort would be like, oh, "That's it. <laughs> come with me." Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Done. Can you imagine him transporting himself by house elf? I don't think he has enough. Oh no, he's so above that. <laughs> yeah, it's, no. It's like get your get your icky house elf's hands off me. Don't touch me. Again, you would never Voldemort's downfall. If he had just looked to creatures that mm-hmm. were quote unquote lower than him, as he would have put it, he actually mm-hmm. might have been able to get at Harry much quicker. Definitely. There's would have so been more boring for us. Oh yes, of course. Because <laughs> what kind of story is that? Voldemort gets a house elf and. 
<laughs> kills Harry Potter at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, on the same point, uh, what what just what do house elves know about, about stuff? We know that Dobby grew up in uh, the Malfoy home, but does he have communication with other house elves? Do we think, or does he? Is his knowledge limited to really just the Malfoy house? And uh, speaking speaking of which, how has he developed such a strong character, having lived in that house his entire life? possibly being, you know, doing punishments, presumably, throughout his whole life. Yeah, because they say it's the families, right? So probably his older family members serve the Malfoys as well. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I would assume assume, so. Kind of like the creature's family with the black family. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that he... I mean, house elves must communicate at least somewhat, if only when they're, like, together. Because when we meet Winky and Goblet of Fire, I mean, it's they don't seem to be, like, complete strangers when they interact, so... Right. That's true. Maybe when they're doing various errands uh, mm-hmm. in Diamond yeah. Alley, they, they meet up and they hang out. Have a butterbeer or two. <laughs> Chat about the news. Two yeah. would be too much. That would be... They'd be under the influence. That too. <laughs> That's true. I mean, Winky's downing them, like, by the dozen, so... Winky has a problem. <laughs> she does. But, uh, Poor gal. I do think the house elves do kind of have like a bit of a rumor mill going on because they the, they kind of can only when they do like see each other they're really the only other pe- beings that they talk to because they're not really unless you have a good family as a house elf you're not really permitted to talk so to speak and discuss you're just but I'm sure there's a, there's a secret community mm-hmm. of uh, be- yeah. because there has to be I'm, weren't they not uh, necessarily enslaved by wizards and witches for their whole lives they used to be separate community communities mm, would she, i, I don't like does she ever go into that about that before house i feel i feel like in an interview she's talked about like what it, what it was like i mean i i would assume they have a community structure and it's based or centered around serving their like serving their families but you know they're think about the house of community they're probably in some turmoil or they they're they're obviously in a tense place they they obviously don't have rights i mean we'll, we'll get into all this later in the book but um their community is centered around this uh you know serving that that obviously damages a community or it shapes them well and uh, going to back to what else shapes adobe particularly as far as how you know polite he is and what a what great character he has he's been raised almost pretty much the same way Harry has under servitude and he and and subjected to punishment and he's i guess it's com- comes down somewhat to you know m- personal morale i mean yeah it, yeah dobby would i, I cuz any other house elf like winky would at some point would probably buckle but you know dobby if if you could put house elves in houses dobby would probably be in gryffindor <laughs> so i think there's yeah. there's an element of that he's a lot like harry um, in how selfless he is and how he wants, and and the movie mentioned the book doesn't mention it right away. The movie goes right into it, and the book kind of implies it early on. But that the house elves remember that as bad as it is for them right now, it was worse for them when Voldemort had power. Um, so they they there is kind of like uh they they know it's bad now, but if Voldemort comes back and they know he's back, then that could be much much worse off for them. So that that sounds like it's part of the house elf story, like um, when when they all get together and they have community functions, which are probably just they're gonna hang out in Nocturnal. Like or mi- like a mixer. 
<laughs> you know, like Butterbeer. <laughs> just but. picture a giant house elf convention. <laughs> yeah, with, with music, oh music in the background, some house music. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably not so glamorous. They're probably just like in a puddle or something. But <laughs> clearly, oh. they want to. There is hope, or they they they're constantly talking about making it better, or it is better since Voldemort was gone. So they're clearly they're communicating. But that's interesting, Michael, that you also bring up that his personal morale can. can bring him through and honestly shape him even though he's lived with the the Malfoys for so long just like Harry living with the Dursleys is shaped by his personal nature and just like Voldemort couldn't do it or he turned the way he was because of his personal nature mm -hmm. a completely completely different way yeah no Harry Harry just attracts kindred spirits is what it is so and that's how Dobby found him. yeah yeah that's well, it. we also we also learned that Dobby is Certainly a little damaged from his, his stint with the Malfoys because as we get to know Dobby, we we find him quickly, you know, bursting out crying, banging his head on the window. I'm just like, my man has some issues. I mean, there there's some problems, you know, from his his life with the Malfoys. Do you think those punishments are based on previous orders from the Malfoys saying you do this if you say this, or is he just oh, taking yeah. it upon himself to do this? I think it started with them punishing him because he even mentions. Mm -hmm. um, Reminding him point, to do extra punishments. Yeah, that, that the Malfoys would would um would remind him to do certain punishments. I'm sure they look to Draco for punishment ideas. They sound like things Draco would come up with. <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah, shutting his ears in the oven door. Yeah, that's it's, true. It does sound like specific. Draco. Yeah, I would hate it if Dobby was just creatively coming up with these on his own. <laughs> yeah, Draco doing... didn't have any any siblings to you know mess with, so Dobby kind of became the default. Um, Thing he person whatever he picks on draco is to D dobby as dudley is to harry yep another another comparison between the two except dudley just wants to be harry's friend well maybe malfoy <laughs> okay. just wants to be dobby's friend <laughs> whoa <laughs> maybe now okay, that's well, one before that I've becomes heard, a yeah. over the top um so we get th we get this line you know the the, the wait before well, you lost. before you do that why did why? Why did Dobby start crying in the first place? Because Harry was so polite to him, right? Right, and yeah. He wasn't used to this. So isn't exactly. it interesting that in this scene, manners are so important because we know that Vernon and Petunia and, and Dudley want to impress the Masons, and they're having visitors at the same time that Harry is having another visitor, and he he also is polite to um, uh, Dobby. But... The, the politeness for Harry completely is, is true. Yeah. He just naturally does it, and it's genuine. And for the Dursleys, it's completely false, and it's just a show, and it's just to like get get this order of drills down so they can go to Majorca. So what what's about this discourse of manners going on over here? Well, um, I see it just as... Well, I think that's a great... I've never even thought of that, that the, it's a parallel, just a contrast between the two. But... Uh, for me, just when I remember first reading it, I just just pretty much continue to fall in love with Harry as I read these descriptions because he's just so nice and sweet, and it's he's like a friend that you would like to have because he is so considerate, as, like of st perfect strangers. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I for me, it's just it's very uh, it's just very relatable. I think for me, just because I, I I you know there for when when I was about that age i i kind of had a more quiet group of friends who were very more polite and and well-mannered and then when you 
pop into high school, that's not really what you find. Um, Harry is pretty, I think, atypical for his age. He's surprising um, mm-hmm. in his in his behavior, and and the fact too that he's because he doesn't have any preordained prejudice. Exactly. He's just automatically nice to Dobby, and he does not make any assumptions about him. Even though Dobby's wearing, like, a ratty old pillowcase and nothing else, Harry will treat him just as he will treat anybody else. Yeah. That's interesting, and we see that multiple times because of Harry's, uh, his knowledge is kind of limited in terms of the wizarding world. He's instantly nice, or he acts um, informally, but that works to his advantage. Would he necessarily be as nice if he was raised in a wizarding home? Or even raised by parents who were kind of like the Malfoys. You can't know. It's hard to say. Well, you know, if and this comes up later and much later in book five, but if Sirius had raised him, you have to wonder if he would have the same attitude towards house elves. If he'd been around creature and Dobby came into his life, that would be much... I think there would be a slight difference. I think think Harry still does, because he does encounter that situation later on when... Ron and Hermione first see that Harry is friends with Dobby and of course Hermione just loves it but Ron doesn't really get it at first and he Ron really just sees it for the perks of the friendship he doesn't really see like a true relationship between Harry and Dobby um yeah and so that there I think there there would be a difference if Harry had been around that for a little longer I think there is something to be said with how he was raised that's also probably why Hermione can uh really go and stand for house elves because she doesn't come from these prejudices either. And you really, I guess it really And she, well, she faces a lot of prejudice too, so. Oh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. But we finally get to this, this reason that Dobby is here, you know, he has obviously a purpose for showing up and he doesn't want to just shack up with Harry for a while, but he's, he comes up with the line. Harry Potter must not go back to Hogwarts this year. Right. And I'm just like, What? First time I read it, that's like such a terrible thing. Like Harry's gearing up to go to Hogwarts. He's ready to go back to being all Gryffindor and everything. And then Dobby's like, nah, play You ain't going. But it's a problem for his life. It's kind of a dick move by Dobby. It is. Yeah. Dobby's like, you know, raining on his parade. He's so excited to go back to school. And as, as and, readers, we hate it too. Like, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, he, we obviously know he goes back at this point, because what are the other 300 pages about otherwise? You know, you don't know. Like, it could be him, like, <laughs> dealing with, with life what, at the Dursleys. the garden the whole <laughs> Yeah. I mean. Like, venturing out into the muggle world. Gosh. How disappointing that would be. I, but no, it, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, I, I kind of... I, I was always kind of miffed by Dobby after that point, pretty much. Like, and, you know, I love him as a character, but he, I, I pretty much find anything, since the book is so well written from Harry's perspective, I find anything that mars Harry, Harry's experience at Hogwarts to be very, very frustrating because oh, absolutely, Harry's experience is all we get. Um, I like, I hate when Harry, like, misses the sorting for a stupid reason or he gets cut out of Quidditch for any reason, like, because then we miss it too. And yeah, to, yeah I, I completely agree that if Dobby... If Dobby's there to ruin this experience, I'm mad at him. We're so invested in Harry's, you know, good experiences that we just... I was angry at Dobby. Like, I had resentment toward him. So, uh, but it, it made me just think that 
you know, what, where does Dobby get off, you know, with, you know, thinking that his opinion of it is, is the best one that it's, you know, is it just too dangerous that it's too dangerous for Harry to go back to Hogwarts? Can we trust his judgment? You know, I don't think he'd be aware of the protection Harry has at the Dursley's house. You know, the, the whole aspect of him being safe there. And it's not like, you know, he and Dumbledore would chat about it or something. So I don't think so though. (laughs) I don't think they've met yet. Yeah. And I mean, we know now as readers, we know that the immediate danger will be at Hogwarts, but, but if Voldemort was to return, I mean, Harry, Harry would be in danger no matter what. So I just don't know why. I guess it's just goes for me. Dobby, the reason he did all this was because he heard specifically what Lucius Malfoy was saying to people. Yeah, around, yeah. And he thought he was the only one who knew and could causally change destiny. So he wanted yeah. to save, he really wanted to save Harry, but this is certainly, it motivated him to act like no other house elf has ever thought to do on his own, certainly a free yeah, agent. That's fair. I guess for me, it just, it kind of shows, it does show that, but it also shows like how, how limited Dobby is, but he kind of acts really rashly. So it sounds like a Gryffindor, Caleb. Well, I don't know. That's kind of where I was going with it. Like he, he, he does, especially as we meet other house elves, you know, I think he kind of, he does, um, embody that sort of Gryffindor-esque, um, nature. But I'm curious what Dobby knows exactly, because, excuse me, if he knows that there's, um, a basilisk and they're going to be targeting mudbloods, why is Dobby so worried about Harry's life? Because he knows Harry's a wizard. Exactly. Yeah. That's another thing I was thinking of. So Wait, does he know that the Chamber of Secrets is going to be open? Well, that's what I'm wondering. What exactly does Dobby know? He knows that there's a plot. Yeah, we don't ever really get a full um, full um, disclosure of what Dobby actually knows. Right. And I mean, and I mean, it's Tom Riddle says himself that it's not till much later that he decides to target Harry and not the Mudbloods. So, well, Harry or Dobby must have known somehow what the diary was capable of because Lucius did. Wait, well, yeah, he yeah, and he does know because of what I was going to bring up in just a second. He knows that it has to do with Tom Riddle. Yeah. So, so it, it, it there it sends it, if it's a product of Voldemort's that's being used in this plot, then I think because Dobby does mention that he does associate Voldemort's downfall with Harry as everybody else, um he doesn't want to risk losing Harry at all. Um, and he doesn't, I don't think Dobby knows exact details because I don't think Lucius even did. Um, cause don't we know that? Cause Tom, cause Voldemort never disclosed exact details about his Horcruxes to Lucius, right? He just sort of gave him the diary. Right. Yeah. Lucius has right. no idea it's a Horcrux. Yeah. Right. So I'm pretty sure it, whatever Lucius intends to do is pretty vague. And, and Dobby has heard that and like, drawn out the worst worst possible scenario and i think his understanding of it is also pretty vague however they're bearing in mind that line um not not hugh must not be named sir but but dobby's eyes were wide and he seemed to be trying to give harry a hint harry however was completely lost given that line it was a popular theory that dobby knew about horcruxes that he because it because his eyes are getting wide and we know it's not um baltimore per se but it's something close to him just like when there's a Harry's like, he hasn't got a brother, has he? But then uh, then Dobby freaks out a little bit more. Does Dobby know anything about Horcruxes, possibly separate from Lucius? Because he even says that this is darker magic that no decent wizard should even know, that even uh, uh, Dumbledore would know. Yeah, I don't I don't really think he knows about Hog, uh, Horcruxes. I think it's more he, he knows the Tom Riddle um, 
portion of it. And I think that's why, you know, he's, um, he seemed to be trying to give Harry a hint. And I think that's why it's such good foreshadowing. Um, I think it's more, he knows about that connection between Voldemort and Tom Riddle, um, than necessarily, um, that the diary is a horcrux. So, yeah, it, it's kind of similar to a line in the, in the first book where Hagrid's talking about Voldemort and he makes mention of the fact that Voldemort knows magic that is kind of like similar to horcruxes. I don't know if you guys remember that. But it, it's almost as if Joe made certain characters hint at it, even though they themselves logically shouldn't know anything about it. Yeah, which is a really, you know, skillful and clever literary um, device she used through it. So. Yeah, and maybe just maybe simply she didn't know exactly who was going to be a part of the Horcrux hunt later on or who was going to know mm-hmm. what. So she kept it really vague. But yeah, really cool. Yeah. So another, <laughs> this is really funny to me reading it back um, when when Dobby's trying to like hint at Harry and um, and, and Harry originally theorizes that it's Voldemort and Harry says he hasn't got a brother, has he? <laughs> I'm just like, just just imagine that for a moment that he does have a brother. And I'm just thinking of all these possibilities. This inferior brother who who never did as great as Tom Riddle. What's the brother's name? I came up with Theodore for some reason. It just jumped out at me. And then I'm like, are they half brothers? Do they have different a different mom or a different dad? And then I'm like, fan fiction. So fans, go for it. Tell us the story of, of Voldemort's inferior brother. Theodore Riddle. <laughs> and I will read it on audio fiction. I will gladly read yes. that. I will come up that with a voice amazing. for Theodore. Yeah, no, I think we've gotten, I, come up with a lot of ideas for fan... I think you guys have a lot of good material for fan fiction on Alamora. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Voldemort's half-brother is like a little Igor character just kind of following him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're probably... They were like split at birth. Like maybe Voldemort doesn't even know about the brother, so... He's a twin, but he, he split <laughs> his soul. And he's like... I would say it's more likely soul. that... <laughs> I, I think they're half-brothers and that um, they have the same dad. So maybe you know Tom Riddle Senior had a kid with another another lady. So so he's a wizard. The brother. Uh, no, I don't think he would be because Tom Riddle Senior is a Muggle. So. Well, maybe he made the mistake and hooked up with another witch. Yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> well, that that you know all of those reasons that were just reviewed are pretty much all the reasons <laughs> I was glad that J.K. Rowling got out of the way almost immediately that Voldemort does not in fact have a brother. Like, I think just because those are, that is a very typical, like, and, you know, that comes up later in Deathly Hallows with another character, but the, that is a very typical fallback, um, hey, if, for uh, these. if the diary Horcrux had completely manifested with Jimmy's life and become, like, another Voldemort, they would have been, like, a tag team. Uh, I don't think Voldemort would work in, in Voldemort doesn't play well no. on he teams. He probably would have killed, he, he probably himself. would have killed the brother, honestly. I think he, if he's going to work with somebody, he's going to work with himself. Yeah, he would have killed the brother, I think. Hmm. Theodore? Yes. Or Teddy? We're going to call him Teddy? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we already have a Teddy. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oops, sorry. Ted. No, we have a Ted, too. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, so, after, you know, we we settle on that there is no brother um there's a lot of noise and commotion because dobby's you know like beating himself more and like making his life more hard but they make so much noise that 
they clearly, um, the people downstairs hear them or hear something. And so Vernon comes up and he tells Harry, after Harry stashes Dobby in the closet, that he has ruined the punchline of his Japanese golfer joke. And I just had to pause there for a second this time around. And I'm like, is this a racist joke? I- I'm not having it. I'm not having Dur- Vernon, you know, make these racist jokes to, you know, his his friends over for dinner. Uh, Guys, think- you're going to have it. You are having it, Caleb, because I just found it. I don't even know if we can put that on the app. Yeah, so to hear Noah read the joke, download our app. (laughs) Because that's a dirty joke. Rather explicit. Oh my goodness, but what if that's the joke that Vernon was telling? It must be. Oh, but that's very inappropriate for Dudley. Um, And in front of and in front of the ladies in the room. Jeez. Says the southern gentleman. Yep. Exactly. Well, but that it sounds like the kind of joke he'd say, though. No, that, I think that's there's something to that with the because later on Vernon doesn't he say something about oh tell them about the one about the American plumbers, and Ugh, so yeah. he's basing this whole evening on racist jokes. He so, has such a crude sense of humor. He I'm does. Over it. Yeah, he does. It's bad. But uh, it's very to- British, though. I mean, not to. You know, knock any of the Brits, but I have quite a few British friends who are all very crass. So maybe that's just nah. a thing. You're saying the British are crass? Some of the ones that I know are, yes. The cab driver I had when I was in London, yes. Incredibly Dang. crass. Yes. It's not the way we do it in the South. Yeah. I'm telling you right now. Hey, guys, I don't want to label any cultures here, but I think it's, uh, I think the Americans have a lot on. We're kind of. Uh, very judgmental. Anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think we have our fair <laughs> share of that. <laughs> the, we Ro- do. I, I, Rosie's not here, so I <laughs> see we're kind of. We're, I'll, I'm sure we're going to get plenty of comments on all. Of this. Yeah, she'll yeah. yell at us next week. I'm sure. <laughs> but once once Vernon goes back to his racist ways downstairs, we uh we find out that Dobby has actually been stashing letters from Ron, Hermione, and even Hagrid. And this just fueled the fire of my rage at Dobby. I'm like, he is interfering way too much in Harry's life. Like, Harry has been having some emotional issues for the past couple weeks because he doesn't think anyone likes him anymore. And then we find out that Dobby, you know, has been has been stealing all the letters. And I'm, not okay, Dobby. Not okay. Do we think he's been reading them? No. Not as, I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Because they were unopened, um, I think, when... Well, I guess we don't know for sure, because Harry like never actually gets the letters. The, yeah. Hmm. I doubt it. I, I think Dobby respects Harry a little more than that to read his mail. Yeah. He's not really interested in what it says. He just wants Harry to not... He wants Harry... He says that he wants Harry to think that if his friends forgot him, he wouldn't want to go back to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Dobby Which, must know what Herm- the Hermione girl thinks. That's awkward. <laughs> you see him sitting sitting in that bush. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to move on from that. Uh, so as as Michael already brought up, we get another joke about American plumbers. Um, again, we just, you know, Vernon is hitting on all nationalities at this point. But I, I was sort of, in, I'm kind of interested if we track the American references in the books, because I feel like Americans aren't really talked about much at all. Yeah. Really. Rarely do we even talk about, like, other countries or anything in the Muggle world, like, uh, in terms of, like, actual affairs now. So, it'd be interesting to see if they're mentioned anywhere else in the series, and then we can kind of put that all together and see what Joe really thinks about America. 
Well, I feel like Americans are really into themselves, so that's why we yeah. talk about each other a lot, and we do. Brits just aren't. That, that's mm-hmm. kind of why I love Harry Potter is because it really doesn't feel the need to do that. Like it, it, it. Goblet of Fire. There, I think, is the only other time they're mentioned. Um, uh-huh. and and for that obvious reason, so it. Yeah, I, I I like that, and I think that's something that you know came across. Thank God, came across in the movies because of how they decided to do it in the end was they wanted to make it strictly British and J.K. Rowling wanted it that way. She she was invested in the movies being that way, so clearly she wanted the books to be a, a distinctly British project. It, interesting mm-hmm. that there aren't any American uh, wizard schools talked about. There aren't any... In the Triwizard Tournament, there isn't an American representative. Well, they mentioned they it mentioned in the Goblet one. of Fire. That's the yeah, one they, they mentioned. They mm-hmm. The Salem Witch Institute, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just yeah. very quickly in passing when the trio are walking through the, the campsites at the World Cup. That's awesome. Yep. Okay. Yep, we're talking about it in uh, in my for on my uh, forum on the forums. So so I should backtrack a little bit because at this point, um, this is after um, Harry Dobby tries to get Harry to promise that he won't go to Hogwarts. Harry's like nah, and so they like Dobby takes off downstairs and Harry follows him. And it, we, it's worth mentioning that Harry says he jumps, like, the last six stairs or something and lands cat-like, which I think is really amusing, because I'm just imagining Harry, you know, landing on the the, the ground floor as, like, all perked up like a cat, Over. trying to land the, quietly. I'm glad you mentioned it, because as I don't... <laughs> I see it the opposite. Like, I see him landing, really, like, really like, like an awesome superhero. Like, he's on all fours, <laughs> and he's just like, I'm gonna get that house self. And it's just... In my head, it was always awesome. I don't know. <laughs> So Harry, Dobby immediately goes for this uh, this uh, pudding that Petunia has made that is clearly very over the top, and you know she's put a lot of work into it, and it's already spelling disaster all over the place. And, and I'm just thinking, as Dobby is threatening to do damage and bring hell to Harry's life if he doesn't swear not to go to Hogwarts, why isn't Harry's like? Why isn't Harry just like, yeah, Dobby, I won't go. Now get down from there, and you know still go why doesn't he just think well i'll i'll satisfy him now and say i won't go but just you know deal with that later i think because even pretending to not go to hogwarts would Too just painful. yeah just break his heart yeah because he doesn't know if dobby is other means of keeping him away like magically that's just so irrational to me though i mean my immediate thought would be like okay what can i do to to sort of convince him and then you know. Yeah, me too. I would do the same thing. I would definitely um, maybe fib a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. I would have. I wondered that every time I read it, why Harry didn't just lie at that point. But I think the thing too is that, again, comparing the two, Harry just cannot bring himself to lie. He's he, he yeah. does that later, but I mean, pretty for a pretty good long time, Harry avoids fibbing. Um, yeah, and he, he's, it's such a, gr- it's such a like huge Gryffindor moment, like in the worst of ways for him though. Like he's so emotional and rash and isn't really thinking logically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also he's 12 and maybe just not incredibly, uh, with it. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's at this true. Point. No tag. Yeah. So, so Dobby, you know, since he doesn't really get the, the response he wants, he lets loose the pudding and goes everywhere and um covers harry in the pudding and he's out of there he's like peace i ain't getting in trouble so <laughs> then um then is i guess i can't remember now is it vernon that runs in um maybe it's petunia i can't remember off the top uh, of my head now you just look at that it's uncle me. vernon it says it, he okay. bursts into the kitchen to 
find Harry. Right. So so Vernon Burson, they try they you know, they actually have a pretty good opportunity to um to cover themselves, the Dursleys. They're like, Oh, it's our it's our nephew, he's really he's got a lot of problems. We you know keep him he's locked disturbed. up like an animal, he's disturbed, we don't <laughs> like him. And but but then it, it's done whenever the owl comes in and like goes all over Mrs. Mason who is afraid of birds. And and when I'm reading this, I'm just like, what in the world? Who is afraid? Who has such an irrational fear of birds? I actually Mike, looked, Michael. I actually, what? Sorry, I just wanted Michael to try to let us see what that would have sounded like. Mrs. Mason freaking out. Oh, oh Mrs. Gosh. Mason freaking out. Just, oh, there's a bird on my head. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> she runs out. She's, she's out of here. She's gone. Very nice. Deleted scenes from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I actually looked it up because I was really curious if, if there was anybody kind of famous who's afraid of birds. And so it's called Ornithophobia. And the the three that I found is David Beckham, George W. Bush, and, of course, Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory. So. <laughs> so if David, what, a, what a unique collective group there we have. So if the, yeah. the Dursleys had gotten in connection with David Beckham, the same thing would have happened. Yeah, oh, no, exactly. This is a bird on my head. Ah. so uh, once once this is we actually figure out what happens with the owl and it's from the um improper use of magic office and they clearly and and michael brought this up earlier they don't have the best detection methods if they're only able to judge that it takes place in a vicinity rather than isolated to you know a single person and and then i I started to think more on this is it the way it is, is it already too much like this big brother um, method that they're using? And it made me think about how some wizards might have argued about privacy rights and oversight when the statute of secrecy was first implemented a long, long time ago. I'm sure they did. I mean, it's just kind of interesting to think about how the trace actually works. It's not like they implanted something in Harry at birth. I think it's more likely that they just do an enchantment and everyone in the area uh, of... uh, Everyone in the UK or or children, when there's magic being done, I don't know how it works in, in wizarding homes, though, because magic is probably constantly being done. But maybe only the, the Muggleborns, they have some way of tracking magic in, in Muggle communities on a grid somewhere. Well, isn't, but, it, isn't it said that the trace is only in areas of, in wizarding communities? Or am I remembering incorrectly? Well, it should be in places that aren't wizarding communities, because how, could, how else could they detect magic that isn't right? Or that would, hmm. yeah. No, that that, that actually, would... I think I saw that somewhere else. If, if not on your forums, elsewhere, there there is a discussion going on about like, is this trace unfair to Muggleborns because they, the, you can pretty much pinpoint who done it, if right they do it, but you can't do that if like say the Weasleys are doing magic. Or over yeah, the how summer. do they right. regulate that? Yeah, there's because they still can't do magic. They obviously don't. I mean, I I feel like it should be something more on the wands instead of on the on the house or on the area. Do you, Do you think it's yeah. slightly less in those communities and, and parents? It's like it's up to parents to monitor that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been said in the books even that it's the parents' job to make sure that they don't do magic underage, outside of school. Which I'm sure Fred I've... and George probably got around. Obviously. I think it just has a lot of interesting parallels to like the role of government and how you know how much they should be involved, how much should be you know removed, um, especially when you have these sort of different dynamics for with wizarding born children versus Muggleborn. So well, and it, absolutely, yeah, no, it's the I, it's another 
subtle hint almost at how inept the ministry is right now and how badly it is run. Um, Do we think that sort of was rolling kind of starting off to a commentary on the role of government in some things? I mean, I'm not as familiar with, with British government as I am with American government, but I mean... It seems that way to me. I I do just because she had already done that in Philosopher's Stone and Sorcerer's Stone when Hagrid mentions Cornelius Fudge, um, which was always mm-hmm. something I missed when I was younger and read the books. But this time I saw it and the how he he mentions that Cornelius is very bad as a minister and that he looks to Dumbledore for guidance, um, and yeah. that is expanded on further later on with the arrest of Hagrid and Lucius Malfoy. Um, there's this is just, I think, a hint of that, how they just don't... There there are failings in magic um, mm-hmm. that aren't... That, that that wizards are very way too proud to admit. Um, but there and are we'll failings. Get, we'll, obviously, we'll obviously get Azkaban, too, and then the whole question of, uh, of punishment, because it seems like you go to Azkaban for a certain amount of time based on your offense, and that's just such a terrible place. Um, and, and that's kind of their only punishment, like, which is kind of... Interesting, but yeah. just on the trace itself, um, isn't elf magic different from wizard magic? And shouldn't the Ministry have been able to sense that that it was yeah, a different th- kind of hover charm? That's what I always thought about. You know, after getting farther into the series, because obviously house elves, you know, for example, can apparate in places where wizards and witches can't. So it seems a little inconsistent. You wouldn't think, unless they're just you know able to detect any sort of magic going on there. But I would almost think that. How self magic would kind of be below the radar. I don't know. I mean, it seems to be it really comes easy to them. They don't use wands, so they obviously had to grow into using magic without without them, making them mm-hmm. even slightly more in tune with their magical abilities. Well, maybe the trace only detects wand magic. Well, no, it doesn't because it it there's no wand it, here. Oh, yeah. right, right. <clears throat> so, well, yeah, I think that it's more that hmm. I I would say that the house elves have in with certain spells probably it just comes off very similar to a wizard spell and that yeah. is probably too specific for a charm to detect um by the ministry it's like in the it's in the realm it's like in the realm of hover charms mm-hmm. and therefore it, it registers as a wizard doing a hover charm mm-hmm. even though it's slightly yeah. different yeah that's pretty cool we'll have a lot of discussions about house elves throughout this entire yeah. book like can they be sorted can they use wands cool stuff like that don't have to necessarily get into that now but yeah so we, this this owl comes from we see this person come up a lot mafalda hopkirk and i always <laughs> i wanted to mention that i always liked that name i thought it was just such a like it rolled off really well um it's but I, yeah no. yeah it is and she she's always so, so cheerful in her closing like she's always sending an owl that's you know sort of disciplinary of some sort like i think even when um later in um whatever book it is, I guess, is it Order of the Phoenix? Yeah, yeah that Harry Phoenix, yeah. gets, you know, has to go to a hearing. You know, she always has these really pleasant closings. Um, so this one's, enjoy your holidays. <laughs> and, then, and, then she's, and then she signs off. I thought that was really amusing always. I feel like, like, I, feel like I feel like these are form letters. I don't think she yeah. actually sits down to write them. It's kind of like a charm yeah, that automatically fills everything in and then sends it. 
That's true. But it still makes me envision Mafalda as like a very pleasant lady. Yeah. For some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I it, would agree. And it goes along with the theme of the ministry being just somewhat inept and just they're just like, <laughs> Oh well, you're going to be suspended. All right, have a good you know, have a good summer. And it, it I I think they did that fantastic in the fifth movie when he gets another letter. It's like that that Mafalda mm-hmm. is a great character even though you really don't see her that much. She is yeah. she is a fantastic side character. So when, uh, once this letter comes in and the Masons, you know, in terror storm out of the house and, you know, Vernon has lost his chance at a deal, he goes mad and insane again. And it, it's kind of parallels what he did when the letters kept coming in uh, Philosopher's Stone when, you know, clearly he has not, he does not have good experiences with owls. So I just really like that Rowling was able to sort of relate back to that and keep that um, theme going. All right. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess because I already had like mentioned too that it's just that it's the same. It's that thing of the Dursleys still not having gotten over everything that they've gone through, and their very basic way of dealing with it is let's lock up Harry, even though that's just been proven to not work. Um, but it, yeah, it's that again with the emotional scars. Um, and uh, I just wanted to add something after this point. Um, thinking larger about the fact that this big business deal was going on, I, I, I don't know if we've talked about it enough, just the fact that the whole point of this dinner for the Dursleys was to get this order of drills from the from the Mason, Mr. Mason. Um, what if this was like, what if this whole scene was a metaphor for like commonplace uh, free trade capitalism and Harry and Magic and, and Dobby just come in and they revolt against it? So what if this whole thing is about revolting against capitalism and fake manners and just uh and business versus like childhood imagination and fun and uh and real stuff because we know harry's so genuine with everything going on and the way that they worked this out with the masons it was so fake you know they had to make dinner a certain way they had to open the door and uh they were wearing suits but it's all like underneath it is so fake so what, what do you think about this in terms of capitalism is there anything to be said there I think it's totally, that is a completely and totally valid ter- interpretation because uh, Harry is somewhat of a champion for the underdogs and the not so well off. I mean, look, he's friends with the Weasleys and that's made very clear in mm. all the books that Harry would much prefer to hang out with the Weasleys than the Malfoys um, because he just sees them as, he, he sees people who don't have as much in life like him as I do believe he sees them as having better values. Um, yeah. And he he and he and always talks about how he hates how fake the Dursleys are, and he thinks that they're in their attempts to be successful, they're awfully silly. Um, and they can't even see past their own noses. And yeah, I, I do yeah. think there is... I do think that's... A, I, I've never thought of it in those particular terms, but I do think that is something that stays throughout all the books. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of it, but... You know, we talked about these similar scenes, two visitors, one probably the poorest creature we have in the books, and Mr. Mason, who is obviously pretty rich. Um, you know, at the same time, both both parties trying to be polite to the visitor, but one is fake, one is, and one is perfectly genuine. Uh, in- interesting that the Dursleys frame this book this way. It's just cool. Yeah, definitely. And the Dursleys, after this massacre, pretty much put 
Harry in a prison, which we've talked about already. The the comparison between he and Hagrid, uh, Hagrid, he and Hedwig. Um, <laughs> Get me out of this cage. <laughs> I don't know. That's Hagrid one big would cage. Not, yeah. Hagrid would never fit in a cage, and, and it's almost kind of it's kind of glossed over that Harry is put in this cage. I mean, this um, like a cage, I should say, and he's only let out to use the bathroom morning and evening. Like this is clearly not okay. But is this, you know, is this child abuse, Caleb? I think so. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they they make a cat slip for him to get some food. I mean, come on, that's exactly. this is not that's not proper guardian guard. Yeah, I cannot talk today. Guardianship, whatever. And then and then only then it's only cold soup. Yeah. Like, and then he has to feed the vegetables to Hedwig, right. thereby Who, even making this sassy closer. picky owl is not having it. So right. <laughs> well, she better deal. So yeah. She's getting. But you know, and so so the times are, times is hard for ha- for Harry in his cage, and he's sleeping and he's having these nightmares or whatever. And but he's woken up by a bright light, and um, all of a sudden, Ron is there to the rescue. Da, da, da. And it's worth it, it's worth noting that's uh, the way the last chapter ended is kind of similar to this one because it it's another page turner. It's like yep. that's ridiculous. Ron at his window, he lives it's on the second sim- floor. Yeah, and it's similar to to Hagrid, you know, booming in at um, Hut on the Rock to yeah. sort of rescue Harry from the Dursleys. Later chapters of these books don't have that, but these uh, definitely do because she wants readers, she wants people to keep staying with it until they get to mm-hmm. the nitty gritty of the book. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I I, I, I didn't know if it, you guys were going to mention it, but uh, the and it's pretty self explanatory, I guess, the way it's written. But Harry's dream that he has there is fantastic um i think that's yeah. like a great conglomeration of all the two previous chapters yeah, talking about gonna coming together that's that's just great he's in a isn't he like in a zoo yeah and he's Dudley is like yeah he's an animal in a zoo yeah and and which again rec- harkens back to the first book when they went to the zoo so yeah yeah and dobby won't help him get out because he thinks that he's safer in there so <laughs> yeah. that's yeah, yeah. Dobby's crazy. Very At clever. this point, I want to punch Dobby in the face. <laughs> well, well, it's funny because that that dream that we're talking about is a really good segue into our special feature this week. No, yeah. it's close read. Is it? Is it a good segue? Well, yeah, because they're talking about him being trapped in a zoo, and you know, that's that has nothing to do with my close read. Take take it take it, Noah. It's good. Take but it. Anyway, Noah, that was so. <laughs> wait one thing i want to quickly mention before we move into the close read so some people in the comments um you know wanted us to talk more about pottermore and so i thought about it for this week there's not really any new content for the first and second chapters of chamber of secrets <clears throat> okay. but there is a part where you get to um help or try to keep um petunia's pudding afloat in the air before you can move on to the next scene did you guys um Get past that part? Did you try it yet? Oh yeah, piece yeah. of cake. Ah uh, ha ha, punny. Actually, pun not intended. But <laughs> oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, I was wondering uh, why I was the only one laughing. <laughs> no, I'm just really slow. But I thought that was kind of funny. But even if you keep it afloat, it doesn't change the the end result. It still crashes and goes goes everywhere. Right. Even more frustrating. Damn you, Dobby. Because <laughs> <laughs> you like, <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I think we'll get into the Malfoy story. Oh yeah, definitely. In a few chapters time. No, it yeah, it'll be yeah, it should be pretty. Well, it has to be 
the next chapter, Probably right? Probably the because, next episode, yep. Yeah, because we only have three chapters, three and four of Chamber of Secrets. Good gosh, come on, get us more chapters. It's been a while since we've had only four chapters of the second book. Come on, Pottermore. Yeah, she's, 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 they're working on a lot of stuff. We have total patience. It was I a don't. lot better this time around, though. Yeah, I would say. it was. Mm, yeah, I guess. I, well, I, well, yeah, well, I thought it was. <laughs> we'll get in-depth next week. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now we're going to move on to Noah's close read section. If you guys remember this, I, I'm going to take a section from the books or just kind of look, really look at the language and we're going to kind of, by close read, I mean look at the stuff, look at the words specifically and, and see what kind of interpretations we can draw from that. Um, uh, it's, not, it's not quite reading through the lines. It's, it's really looking at the lines and figuring out what it's all about. And I, I wanted to kind of mention again the panel I did at LeakyCon where we look over the controversial theories and we talk about stuff that you wouldn't normally talk about in terms of Harry Potter. It's when you take the story and you compare it to real world world events or you compare it to the author's life, their history. It's it's kinda like it's it's kinda like looking for the deeper meaning, but not to say that it, it is deeper than the words themselves. The, these deep meanings are in fact embedded in the words. And that's kind of our going philosophy when doing all this. So actually we're going to spin off a lot of what people have been talking about in the forums on our website, alohamore.mugglenet.com. Um, we're going to talk about the animal references and ter- talking about the Dursleys. As, as we know, the descriptions of the Dursleys, they're often uh, kind of these uglier descriptions because they're cartoonish characters. They're not... They're not our friends. They're kind of the, the smallest villains. But especially in Chamber of Secrets, there was a lot of mentions of, like, animal words with them. So for Uncle Vernon, we had he's, ha- he's roars, roars at Harry over using the word magic. Then having been overexcited, sits down like a, and breathing like a winded rhinoceros. And watching Harry closely out of the corners of his small, sharp eyes. Then later, after the owl lands on Mrs. Mason's head... He's bearing down on Harry like a great bulldog, all his teeth barred. And, or is that Baird? Baird? I think it's Bard. Uh, Baird, I think. Or it's Baird. definitely Baird. <clears throat> yeah. Teeth Baird, yes. And then we have Aunt Petunia, who has that horse face and bony horse face. Dudley, pink, blonde, and porky, waddling towards Harry while outside. And we know he's compared to a pig uh, in the <laughs> earlier book. In fact, he's kind of transformed into one. At least with the halfway, at least, right? Yeah. So Petunia the horse, Dudley the pig, and Uncle Vernon the any mixture of wild, crazy animals that will kill you. Um, so we have a great comment in the forums from Fam Famowen. Famwell. Famowen. Yeah. Famowen. Close enough. The animal type of Im- imagery that's used for the Dursleys makes me think of Animal Farm. The creature. All right. Here's a quote. The creatures outside looked from pig to man, and from man to pig, and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. So that's one of the ending lines of Animal Farm. Great book by uh, George Orwell, if you haven't yeah, read it. It's one of my favorites. Fantastic, yeah, it's a fantastic Agreed, book. Agreed, yeah. Everybody should read it. It shows, in my opinion, that the Dursleys of these early books are really here just to fill a role. They're paper-thin caricatures, even dehumanized, to make us empathize more with Harry's situation. Much like the animals in Animal Farm, who stand for some bigger idea than themselves. Okay, so if I can just unpack that that comment a little bit, the um, he's he's talking about the fact that the animals in Animal Farm kind of I don't know if you if you guys are familiar with the plot. I mean, you've all read it, but the pigs end up leading the farm. Well, first it's led by uh, humans, but then the humans leave, and then the animals start running the farm themselves, and then 
quickly it turns out that the pigs who are leading it start to develop into humans or they start having the like values of humans and it's all about money and at the end of the day the animals of the animal farm come to represent like the the human workers population the the one who leads that and uh then therefore the animals become to reflect like ideals and stuff and that's at least what George Orwell has hinted at and a lot of people have hinted at but um so this so Famelman is saying that the the Dursleys also do a kind of similar thing they represent these um nasty characters but I, I really like the thing that he was talking about dehumanization because they are kind of dehumanized and we got to remember as this is all filtered through Harry's consciousness Harry is the one who's viewing these characters as animals in a way as is the narrator and so are we and that lets us not kind of care about Dudley in a way because we've been trained possibly almost hypnotically to think of him just as an animal not really as an important character yeah, this is, kind of, this is kind of Harry's, I, I feel like it's the only time that he is judgmental, in a way, um, by the way he feels about the, about the Dursleys. I'd, Maybe it's his way of coping. I'd say that it's almost sadly the, one of the few things that Harry picked up from the Dursleys. Um, mm. Because, as we talked about earlier, they do this to him. Um, yeah. And you, you mentioned, Noah, I think here that they they compare Harry to a a dog that rolled in something smelly, and that I think that's just there. There's a back and forth between all of them um, of just dehumanizing. Harry actually says on when he's talking to Dobby um, something about where is it? Dobby tells him how he's stuck with his family until he dies. And it says Harry stared. And I thought I had it bad staying here for another four weeks, he said. This makes the Dursleys sound almost human. Um, mm. it, it's another it's it, it's another thing where it, it, the Dursleys don't see Harry as human. And Harry picked that up from them and doesn't see them the same way. I think, granted, for somewhat valid reasons, because they are so cartoonish. Um, but yeah, there, there's a back and forth there. It's not just Harry doing this to the Dursleys. Yeah, if I can just uh, talk about what you mentioned before, that comment, um, there's a line about Harry being treated like a dog that is rolled in something smelly. So it's it's really interesting throughout these whole chapters, the connections between animals and humans. And uh, it's, it's just interesting to see the way that Joe plays with metaphors. Humans are animals, and if you're a creature that is a different from human, like a, like a house elf or even Hagrid, you're, you're compared to not so much animals, but you're compared to like stuff objects like tennis balls or with Hagrid the baby dolphins and the trash can lids so and it's funny thinking about this too with all the parallels we made between Harry and Hedwig before as well mm -hmm. there right just, there just seem to be a lot of comparison in the books from people to animals well and yeah and, yeah. and then you have animagi who can turn into animals animon did I say that right mm. animagi animagi and I say animagi but yeah I, I really like, well, so I think thinking more about this animal, animal farm relation that this um, user came up with, I think it's interesting because it's almost like Orwell and Rowling are using them similarly, but in reverse fashion. Mm -hmm. So in an animal farm, um, um, Napoleon and Snowball, the, the pigs are, you know, they're made more, hu they're related to humans to, um, yeah. to down, to, um, trying to think of a good word to sort of 
critique the characters of them to it's a bad thing that they're being more more human whereas rolling is is making uh the dursleys more like animals to do the same thing to sort of to obviously to dehumanize them so i think it's interesting they're using they're trying to do the same in game but in a reverse fashion and at least with the dursleys animals animal connections are negative aren't they Mm mm-hmm Whereas where in Animal Farm, you empathize with those creatures that, for the whole book, remain very, quote, animal. So the ones that, you know, the uh, that the pigs subvert through their own, to get, to make their own gain. And, and you come to detest the human aspects. Yes, yeah, right. Ooh, so that's that's very interesting. Um, I'd, I'd love it if people in the comments uh, go into Noah's Nook or go into forums anywhere, keep talking about this, because this is something we want to talk about as we get more animal connections uh, as we go through the books and you know I'll just bring it up again because I tend to do it but environmental concerns and like just uh, we, we can look at all these scenes and, and ask the question are these scenes where Joe is making us think about nature in certain ways or do characters suddenly become more naturalized if they're compared to animals and what implications does that have for nature or for our, our reading of, of nature in the, in the series that's just my ending thought to that discussion. No, so, I mean, that, that it raises a lot of good points, and I think it's a good way for a lot of you fans out there to sort of jump into the debate, because it can go in so many directions. What would yeah. that family portrait look like? Oh, God. <laughs> of animals. What, what would Harry be? Would he... he would be awkwardly standing to the side. Yeah. And then we'd have, they, and then if we'd they have included D- him. We'd have Dudley the pig, Petunia the horse. What do you guys see Vernon as? Isn't he usually compared to a walrus? Oh my god! I can see him yes. as a walrus. <laughs> yeah, he's this. Well, there's so many. There's so many different. I mean, he roars like a lion, breathes like a rhinoceros. He has small, sharp eyes. I see that kind of like as a some kind of bird. Yeah. And then the great bulldog. Hmm. But I could see walrus. I see that. That's someone draw that for me, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the walrus, the horse, and the pig. With a little Harry sitting on the side. He's taking the picture. He's not even in the photograph. Why would he take the picture? He's not even in the thing, though. Oh. What That's if I want I want him to be? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so somebody draws this from Kat. She, she really wants it. I do. Um, it's really important. <laughs> Very. <laughs> Very. So now we move on to our posed question of the week. All right, so guys, listen up. And then you, what you're going to do is you're going to comment on this question on our main page of Alohomora, and we're going to read those comments on the next episode. We're going to pick a few and read them. So here's the question. Considering house elves, considering Dobby and the way house elf magic works, we know that it's kind of different from wizard magic because Joe has released that in various interviews. But just how does it work? Did it really help Dobby to find Harry, even though the Fidelius charm was working? Did it really? Was it really able to fool the tr- uh, the trace? Because it's a different kind of magic, so it was a different kind of hover charm. So our, our the basic form of our question is: How does house elf magic work? How how do you think it's different? And most of all, did Dobby use it to find Harry, or by some other means? Because this is a potentially big plot hole in the entire series. And and what do you think are the potential limitations of house elf magic? Could a uh, could a house elf use a wand? Would that make it more powerful, or is it something completely different than what the what wizards use? Really, just anything you think of house elf magic, just throw it in a comment, and we'd love to read it on the next show. 
Great. Yeah, absolutely. And we want to thank uh, Michael for being here again. You were a very great special guest. Thank you so much. Oh, yes, of course. Anytime. Thank you very much. And um, I hope your listeners will be interested in, uh, after listening to Alamora, of course, uh, to head over to Audio Fictions. And uh, we have a very extensive uh, library of episodes right now. I have a whole team of readers with me. Um, and we release uh, alternate weekends to you guys. Uh, with uh, We usually do two stories a week. Sometimes we have three. And we also hold special contests. Um, we'll have a Halloween contest coming up in October where we will read uh, fictions that people submit. Even if they aren't established writers, you can just sign up to be on the MuggleNet fanfiction beta boards. And you can also go there to the Black Lake section to recommend fictions for us to read. And we'll do some voices for you. Why don't you give him a taste of one of your voices? What do we think of Alahamora? Three words. Open the Dumbledore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. Yeah, I really hope that the fans decide to check out Audio Fiction. I personally love it. You guys are great. You do a good job. Thank you very much. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I should note, too, that you guys are, you know, as as long as you send us an audition, you your team is welcome to read for us anytime you'd like. Um, So just putting that out there. Maybe when I can actually breathe properly yes. again. Yeah. yeah, preferably. Get over the leaky flu. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, if you guys, any of you want to join us on the show just like Michael has, you certainly have that opportunity. There are a couple of ways for you to be featured on the show. The first is to submit really great content, either on the website or on our forums. And now that we're getting more into Chamber of Secrets, we'll go back to recapping and using all of your great comments, questions, and theories. So definitely get those out there so that we can give you a shout out and feature your ideas on the show. Or if you're interested in joining us as a guest host, you can email a clip to alohamorapodcast at gmail.com. So what we're looking for here is for you to give a very quick um, kind of analysis that you would do on a show. So maybe pick a chapter from Chamber of Secrets. It doesn't have to be really long. But you do need to have some analysis, and it's definitely important that you have appropriate audio and recording equipment, equipment, I should say. So make sure you have that before you send something our way. And in the meantime, if you just want to keep in touch with us, be sure you're following us on Twitter at MN, and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. And for those of you on Tumblr, we also have a Tumblr. It's mnalohamora.tumblr.com. And don't forget our phone number. Uh, we get so many amazing voicemails from you guys. Please keep them coming. We love hearing them. And that phone number is 206-GO-ALBUS, 206-462-5287. And as it was just mentioned, you can check out our website at alohamora.mugglenet.com. And if you just want to send us a good old-fashioned email, it's alohamorapodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you guys uh, have been following either our page or the MuggleNet homepage, you've noticed that we have just released our sm- smartphone app. So this smartphone app is available in the U.S. for iPhone or Android users, and then our friends over across the pond in the U.K. can get it on the iPhone. So it's a $1.99 for um, U.S. users and 99 pence for our U.K. users. So you should definitely check it out. We have directions on our um, app page, which you can find on the podcast page, or there's also a link in our latest news, or this time it may not be the latest news post, but there's a news post on our um, Alohomore homepage about how to get it. If you have any questions about how to get it, feel free to shoot us an email. But there's a lot of awesome stuff on this app. 
we um we have some interviews that a few of us did at LeakyCon in Chicago, mm-hmm. like um, Mark Ashiro, Hank Green, Lev Grossman, and Mina Lima. So there's some really great um, discussion for you to check out there, along with, of course, the um, the actual episodes for the show. Then we have some other stuff like transcripts, some bloopers. We have an alternate ending for our most recent or our episode prior to this one. And we're also going to have things like vlogs from our hosts. And this is just another way for us to connect with you guys and give you guys that have the app a few extra perks. So make sure you check out our promotional video. Um, give a big shout out to Laura, our executive producer, who worked really hard on these videos. And super cheesy, but we're pretty proud of it's this amazing. Promo. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. So um, we'll have a link in the show notes for you to check that out. Don't forget to also subscribe to our iTunes feed where you can rate and review us. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback over there, and we'd love to see all your comments. Um, I believe that ends our show. Thank you, Michael, for being on. I'm Noah. I'm Caleb. And I'm Kat. Thank you for listening to Episode 10 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. I forget what my forum is called now. How sad is that? Cat something. That's really sad. You know, like Cat's Corner or something like that? Maybe. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what everyone else is it called. Right here. Let's go see what Cat's section is called here. Everyone head over to Noah's Nook. Noah remembers the title of it. <laughs> well, and then it's Rosie's Round Table and Caleb's Cupboard, right? Caleb's Cupboard's a little lacking. I apologize. I need to do a better job of that. Everybody but... goes in the Nook. Yeah. Oh, Cat's <laughs> Keep. Cat's Keep. Oh, there you go. Oh, that yeah. It had to be alliterative. Alliterate. Whatever. I'm not trying to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. anyway. <laughs>